I might have mentioned it once or twice, but as someone who is completely obsessed with stationery, I knew my conversation with Neil, who's the founder of Present and Correct, would be one that resonates with all of us here on this podcast. I think the moment that he described the purpose of an eraser will stay with me forever. And it was actually just so him to say something like that. You'll have to listen to the podcast to know what he says. But actually, the way he loves his analogue world mixed with digital, how he has formed a career and a very, very beautiful brand in what some would call niche, is again testament to the bonkers ideas that we all have and love absolutely can be our business of the future. And guess what? We get to do what we love and love what we do. Enjoy this one. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown. I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table. And since then, I've gone on to launch Holly & Co., I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses, and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to Dell Technologies, who've helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hi, Neil. Gosh, I'm excited to speak to you today. Now, tell me, your head paperclip at present and correct. (laughs) Probably the best title I have ever interviewed. Tell me how you came up with that. Well, I I suppose it seemed fun and the idea of director or creative director or any of those kind of official titles just doesn't suit me in that respect. It felt too serious. So, and I love paperclips. It would be head eraser or head paperclip. It just made sense to me. (laughs) It is just fantastic. And the paperclip organises everything, so... Yes. It's kind of apt in that respect. Sorry, I hadn't thought of that. Yes. I hadn't either until just now. (laughs) (laughs) You were just justifying your paperclip. Total fluke. I, re- I remember at not in the high street i was called chief inspirator now nice. and and someone said why why would you call yourself that no one's going to write about you anymore because it's just a bit of a title and i went actually that's perfect then because that's the sort of title i do i want mm. and i can imagine you're the same it's you know when we run our own businesses you know that's the luxury we have which is yeah. that we don't have to answer to anybody yeah, you don't have that kind of hierarchy and why impose it on yourself? It seems restrictive and I think it can make it feel too serious as well. It's just not necessary. Like you say, and that's what you want to get away from, I suppose. When I read uh, about you for this podcast, I know that your uncle gave you this £7 WH Smith voucher when you were seven years old. I liked his (laughs) gifting style there. That was very, very clever. Um, But he used to give us for us each age, he would give us a voucher for the age. Right. That okay. Yes. So eight would be eight pound. Yeah. Eight pounds. <laughs> Did that kick off this obsession? No, I think I'd had it before. It was just suitable that it was a W. H. Smith voucher, because back then W. H. Smith was like the dream. It had oh, everything you yeah. wanted. But I'd had, um, you know, I'd been stationary way, way before that. I think um, just because 
when I grew up, I just drew and painted and I made things and I didn't, obviously I had toys, but my kind of toys were like craft sets and that mm. kind of thing. So it all kind of comes from that, I think. What were you watching when you were a child? Um, Tony Hart. <laughs> I love Tony Hart. Wasn't that the best? <laughs> so good, but I never got in the gallery. My did friend you not? Did. No, I did. You send him, your things. I yeah, I didn't get anywhere. And then, so Tony Hart and Art Attack, which would have been a bit later. So you were a bit of a graphic and stationary nerd, which is, by mm. the way, is a, obviously a badge of honour um, in, in, <laughs> in, in in my books, um, in many books. <laughs> um, and I think it's actually about becoming, isn't it, an expert in your field or a nerd in your field. And uh, when I think mm. about like Joe Malone's story of mixing her creations and potions in a bathtub um, until she became, you know, got the right combination of essential oils and then mm. created that product. And you went to art school in Leeds and before long you took a job as a graphic designer in, yeah. is it Wink Creative? Where yeah. you were working on branding projects for airlines, hospitality companies, stationary brand. Yeah. What was that time like in your career? Because were you just like, a pig and muck pretty much in a nice way obviously yeah no absolutely it was a really good time it was it was like a dream company to be at you got to travel um that was the first time I went to Tokyo and it was also just an atmosphere of it was just really fun like it was quite high pressure and you would be doing like five or six clients at a time and it was really intense but the the payoff and the the rewards you got were really good and what what was your favorite client or project that you worked on um, so there was a Japanese stationery company called CDT. They still exist. Um, that was really nice. That was obviously a dream. And we went to Tokyo for a research trip. So Ooh. that was, yeah, that was pretty lush. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Um, <laughs> and my boss basically just took us around and he just, you know, just showed us all his favorite things and it was all free and it was just amazing. I was maybe, I don't know, I was like 25. Incredible. And then I did an airline as well, which... I did pretty much everything myself from scratch. Well, you mean an actual airline? So you're talking about in in onboard experience as much as yeah. the tail? Yeah, so I did all the external livery and wow. the, the logo. And then we did like an ad campaign with a raccoon. I did like lunch boxes and all the stuff like that. But then I worked with the team who did the interiors and the uniforms. Like looking back on it now, it was incredible. I don't like now what I did because it was such a long time ago. And it was dictated a lot by the client, which things always are. Yes. But it was incredible to see something like that come together. It was amazing. just amazing. Once in a lifetime yeah. experience. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Unless you're planning on doing any tales of aeroplanes soon. A stationary airline a sta would be good. <gasps> <laughs> Can you imagine that? I, I think... Go on. No, I was going to say, I'd love to do a stationary hotel. I think that would be really good. <laughs> uh, stationary hotel. Can you mm. imagine? Because I don't know if you've ever heard, I call it stationary failure. And it, probably everybody listening to this podcast suffers from it. So yeah. we always laugh in this community about, you know, I'll be doing a live and we'll be talking about an idea and someone will say, I think I need a new notebook for that. And I'm like, <laughs> that is correct. You know, it's yeah. like, it's that whole idea of where station, well, you just, yes, you've got many fans listening and they would definitely come to that hotel. Can you imagine what that would be like? What when you would go into reception, can you imagine what the, you'd have to you almost- do some fun decor. You could, And I just love you? the idea of like getting into a room and then 
you have like a little pile of notebooks by your bed and maybe you can have an eraser on your pillow not a mint just like you could just do really fun stuff oh my I feel like in Japan this would happen but that's the only place it would ever work yeah I think you're right actually (laughs) I think you're right it's pretty niche (laughs) it's quite niche but actually I want to talk to you today about niche because niche is what I feel is the future you know I think branding obviously might be one of my most favorite subjects in the world to talk about and um, this is a thing that makes your business tangible and shows your personality and makes you so different to the rest. And I think every business has what I call a brand heart and everything that makes your business work and flow exist in the world. And I strongly believe that brands that connect emotionally are the brands of the future. Um, Would you agree? And is there a secret to great branding? I think it's really important now for brands, definitely, like you say, to have personality and not to shy away from having a character and mm-hmm. not to be kind of, there are so many that feel very similar and, you know, there's a lot of really great brands, but they feel kind of flat in that respect. They're almost 2D. They don't have that kind of depth or humor or personality or something that you can buy into in that respect. Like you can buy into a product or a choice of products and a service, but it's kind of nice to feel like there's a little bit more to it. And do you think that that's, it's really interesting, 2D versus 3D. Um, we were just having a conversation at Holly & Co. And I think that's where we've landed, that we need to be 3D. You know, yeah. we think that 3D, that the the physicality, the emotion, the character is yeah. so important, isn't it? And and did you see that from your design days and, and bring that through? Is that something that you learned on that journey? I think maybe learned in respect that the brands I worked on weren't necessarily like that because they were quite big budget and yeah. fancy and corporate. A lot of them were quite corporate. And so I kind of saw that you need to be more than that, especially when you're small. I think if you're mm-hmm. little, you can't be closed off and cold and it doesn't go in your favor Mm. so I guess I learned in that respect like I I kind of saw perhaps what I didn't necessarily want to be or that I felt was a bit too staid and kind of old-fashioned in that respect I suppose sometimes that's actually what you need isn't it what you don't want so as much as you can see things that you do want quite often in life don't we we see much more of what we don't want yeah that's also a great barometer for ourselves, yeah. isn't it? Like that's definitely not the course I want to travel. You were working yeah. these design agencies for seven years, working on these amazing projects. Um, what was it that then made you? Was it in Tokyo? What was it you went, uh-huh, hang on a <laughs> second. Uh, you decided to do it yourself, go alone. And was it always going to be stationary? Definitely yes to that. It was always okay. going to be stationary. I think I feel old saying this, but in the late 2000s, it felt like a time when small e-commerce shops were setting up and Shopify mm-hmm. wasn't around and there wasn't that kind of package that you could buy mm-hmm. off the shelf and just create a website. I remember instantly. it. That time, it was so exciting to see people set up a shop and they'd make some notebooks, they'd make some envelopes, they'd maybe go to markets and sell vintage things. And so that's where the idea came from. And then, But Tokyo kind of struck a chord in that they're very good on small stationery shops that mix very ephemeral everyday items with nicer newer things and then vintage things and it's just like a hodgepodge but uh, they all they're always tied together by the owner's uh, taste I suppose and you know because they're small one person's choosing everything and that makes it cohesive yes so it's like a combination of those two things that made me think I'd really like to do that and I was at a point where 
I'd been at work for so long and I was just quite tired. Yes. <laughs> and, I, I, <laughs> I, and, and, sounds... and you were on the misconception that starting your own business was going to be <laughs> yeah. an easier ride. Like a, a walk in the park. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was, I suppose it was grass is greener. It was that kind of cliche mm-hmm. of I want mm-hmm. some of that and I want to see if I can do it. Yeah. So yeah, that was the start of it. Really. And it also comes back, doesn't it, to doing what you love. Tell me about yeah. those early days of running the business, those first steps that you took and how did you come up with the name? Well, Present and Correct was actually my um, final project at college. Right. So, yeah, so I did graphic design um, BA and my final major project was, it was a gift wrapping concept shop called Present and Correct. It was based around the idea of Japanese gift wrapping and how they have kind of lots of etiquette. But I tried to make it a bit more modern. So it was kind of like lots of different designs of gift wrap but for example one you could fold up into a lampshade once you'd used it as gift wrap and there was another one which was like um get well soon gift wrap but it had paracetamol embedded in it and all these kind of and there was there was another one because in in japan there was this um thing i read where when you wrap a gift you leave a small area exposed sometimes to hint at what's inside and i love the idea so i did gift wrap that had like punch out perforated holes so you could remove little bits to reveal what was inside brilliant it was basically take a sheet of gift wrap and see how many things you can do with it and so and so tell me you you had the name yeah tick (laughs) job done (laughs) but also and yeah and i i never got tired of the name and um because it um it sort of links back to school and registers mm. and getting counted yes and yes makes sense although Love in it. hindsight it never occurred to me the weight of a name that says you're present and correct because when you mess things up you feel a, you know it's against your company name <laughs> like it's a lot to live up to do you know what yes. I mean it's, it's, a, it's tall like order. a burden <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> And what was, so you had your name, what were those first days like, you know, building? Like, were there bolts coming off the train? Was there, <laughs> yeah. I always remember, who was it that I was speaking to, um, where they spoke about Bloom and Wild, and he spoke oh, yeah. about his first boxes that they bought, and they spent something like £8 a box on wow. these things, and mm. they had to then get a studio just to house the boxes that they had bought <laughs> because that. they did bulk volume so they thought yeah. they were being really really clever and then it took them forever and like they were losing money on every box of flowers that they sent out they were losing money and the oh, flowers no. would die inside because they hadn't done any air going in like it, it, <laughs> what I love is that this is what this podcast is about it is like for everybody you know it does not go plain sailing you know when you yeah. start a company so did you have any of those experiences well, I guess, I mean, I was working from home in the spare bedroom back in our old flat and yes. that in itself was a mess. There was just stuff everywhere and there was stuff under the beds. And I, I think a lot of small businesses, when they start, have that because you don't want to commit to a space and you just, I had just stock everywhere. And I suppose it's just a learning curve in dealing with people and finding products and um, getting things made that go wrong. That always happens. You know, like you get a print job back and you've completely messed it up and you've spent like two grand on something and you're just a little bit gutted. <laughs> just you know, That's just a given, I think. Yeah. I guess I sort of expected it in a way and you just deal with it at a time like you have a day where you feel really crap about it. But mm-hmm. ultimately you just have to carry on. And when you're running commerce, I've always found that having orders coming in often, frequently, 
actually is obviously brilliant financially, but it means that you can't um, hang around when things go wrong because you always have to get those orders out and you have to cater to your customers. So you can't really have a day where you're gutted about something because you get behind. Yes. And that's so good because you have no choice but to keep well, going. Well, it's a bit of a vote of confidence, isn't it? So actually for other businesses, you could then be in the ditches for weeks whereas actually this is a little bit of a someone's flying the flag for you each time well it's yeah. voting with their money isn't it it's voting with yeah, their money for absolutely. what the, what they believe in um yeah. you had a website and you started out selling your own work alongside anything else that you loved with stationery yeah. um and it was truly your passion did you ever worry and i'm interested it's just because it's on my mind topically at the moment did you ever worry that our obsession with technology could potentially hinder the success of our brand with analog products at its heart well i guess back then technology was obviously big but it i don't feel like it was as invasive as it is now yes. Yes, um, it wasn't. There was so much less social media. Social yep. media was much nicer. And over the time, people have always said that it will kind of hinder that kind of analog way of life. But I think now that, especially after the last couple of years, people have got so tired of being online all the time because we have no other choice. I mean, obviously we have a choice, but it's so much more of our life. And everyone's tired of social media and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that's going to help the analog industry more. People are just going to want it because we're sick of the alternative, I suppose. Or not sick of it, but you just kind of want to balance. You want to reclaim that kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. And your your products are based in nostalgia, aren't they? In a way, it was you have a comfort around stationery, certainly your eye on stationery, I think. And and I think it's interesting what you say there because. I think we're also being educated so much in mindfulness at the moment mm. that you're right. The simple act of baking some bread or going for a walk even almost yeah. feels, as you said, like, wow, look at me. Look, yeah. look how great I'm being for yourself. You're like, oh my God, hang on a second. I'm just going yeah. for a freaking walk. We don't need to be told that that's good. We all know that that's good for us, but it's just about breaking the habit of what you know what we've become used to and i think that's what i've always liked about stationery that you, it's all kind of um built in like everything's there everything each singular piece of stationery has its little function and it's it's just there and it's um it's just a given it's, it's just, a given yeah, yeah, yeah it's a given and has that played a part i love talking about sort of that emotional connection and brands you obviously created that for those who looked at stationery in a different way than just functionality, you know, yeah. actually stationery is so much more. Um, yeah. That has always been within your business. Tell me about how you bring that to life. And mm. do people who aren't stationery addicts, poor them, um, you know, <laughs> do they think you're nuts slightly? When <laughs> Have people Probably. thought you're nuts during this journey? Yeah, I think so. I think so. For me, stationery, obviously it's functional, but I love the, I fetishize it in the respect that a lot of it is um, objects are just really attractive. Mm. And I guess that comes back to being a designer, you know, like the colors of razors and blocks of paper and print finishes and all that kind of, and the variety of paper clips. And there's a, like a plethora of shapes and sizes and everything. And I really like that you can play with those and, make something out of them almost you're using it as like a medium 
mm-hmm. the way that you might paint or crayon or whatever. I just think that's really fun and it's a new way of using it. And I'm not precious about stationary, it has to be used because I just love it as objects. Yeah. And so I suppose the way I present stuff comes from that. Mm. But yeah, people think it's crazy and, you know, like making patterns out of erasers or, you know, I, the other year I did an exhibition of paper clips and things like that. And it's oh. it's so specific, but there are people who like it. And I think yes. that's all that matters. That's, oh, I that's mean, all that, yeah. who doesn't? That's all I care about though. It's like <laughs> people find it and they enjoy it and it makes them happy. Yes. I don't care that some people will be like, well, that's just weird. I mean, it doesn't matter. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. They're not no. part of the club. That's exactly. That's, they that, can't that, come in. <laughs> they can't come in. They, if they don't know, having an Instagram post with, what did I see the other day on yours? Um, all the sharpeners in all the different colours all lined oh, yeah, up I love together. Doing that. <laughs> oh my goodness me! It's it's. Tell me about this niche. I'm going to talk about bricks and mortar in a moment, but I'd love to just focus on niche and. One of the things that I'm, I think I'm learning, or I think that, that those that listen to this podcast are picking up, is when we do something really well in our own lane, and mm. we stick to it, yeah. and then we become almost obsessive for decades in that lane. It, <laughs> it by very nature. I was speaking to Lucy Sparrow from So My Soul, and. She, you know, she does this felt artwork. So she creates, um, if you haven't seen like she created an entire... Oh, the shops. The of, shops, right? Yeah, they're of amazing. Felt. Yeah, yeah, incredible. So that's all she's going to do for the rest of her life. Can you yeah. imagine where she will be in 10 years' time? And what she was saying was the energy she poured in meant the result will happen. Like, if mm. you are that obsessive and in your lane, you can build niche into becoming a really successful business. You've yeah. got to subscribe to the same thinking yeah well I always believe like whatever the effort you put in will come back to you I definitely believe that and you have to believe that because how well you know that justifies all the time and energy you put into something but again it's it's about the fact that the, there's so much of everything at the moment and you can sometimes you go online and you feel like there are so many businesses and there's so many people doing nice things And once you find your groove, I suppose, you just have to really hammer that home and stick to it. And in finding that you are creating your, that's, that's a brand in a way, you know, Mm. it's beyond having a logo. It's, I feel like a lot of what present and correct is, is like that photo style and those arrangements and something identifiable has extended the brand beyond just being a stationary shop. It's, it's about all that playfulness and I, I love all that kind of side of it. But it's it fine. comes back to having character. Yes, it does. It does. And the confidence to go and own something. We're working with our partners at Dell Technologies to empower small businesses across the UK with the tools and knowledge they need to thrive. Every week, we bring you the Small Business Pharmacy Live to help you navigate your business journey, covering a huge range of topics. Here I am talking to our resident coach, Kate, as we delve into how we can all unlock our genius mindset. We go through our lives and, you know, we we all achieve really extraordinary things, don't we? But we just kind of put them in our backpack and, you know, over time, we just almost forget they even happened but actually that's all in us it's all formed who we are it's all there in our minds and you know certainly I believe I'm a massive believer that there's absolute genius in everybody it's just a question of tapping into it. it's not even 
about discovering something that you don't have. It's about rediscovering what you already have. For the latest lessons, advice and insights, join me every Wednesday at midday live on my Instagram. You can also visit holly.co slash hub for my business advice hub, a free online resource thanks to Dell Technologies filled with content from myself and some of our small business community, sharing lessons from our journeys to help you navigate yours. And with a continued commitment to empower you, every week Dell are giving away one tech in a box. For a chance to win a brand new XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies, head to holly.co slash get involved with thanks to Dell Technologies. Now let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. In 2014, you opened your bricks and mortar shop tucked away down a side street in London. Um, Now, this is not just any ordinary shop. I mean, you sell just about the coolest frigging stationery anywhere on the planet. And it is every stationery lover's dream come true to walk through. Why was it important to you to have that physical space? I always wanted one. I always wanted a shop. I just wasn't sure that I could do it financially. And which is why I've ended up somewhere it is on the side street because it's cheaper, but it's just something I wanted to do. And I always thought I could do that well. And I just thought it'd be really fun. And the idea of arranging a room with all these objects that I really like, and it's another outlet for looking for things to buy. And it's, it's a license to shop and it's a license to hoard things that I really like. Yeah. And basically <laughs> be in a room surrounded by all these things, but ultimately not have to keep them for myself. Because then it becomes a bit of an illness. (laughs) (laughs) I love this answer. It's like, it's basically so that I can do my obsession and then no one can tell me off because it's going to be, someone's going to buy it in the end. Yeah, exactly. It's It's like, like having a stationary cupboard, but open for other people. Yes, come into my cupboard. You can have stuff. It's not free, but it's for you. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't want it, that's okay, because I Yeah, love that's it. also fine. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I can tidy it at the end of the day and all, all is good. <laughs> all is good in life. Yeah. Everything is fine in life. What do yeah. you think about um, the state of the high street today? Because um, I know that, you know, we just finished our campaign Shop Independent, where I went on this bus and I went across the amazing. country yeah. and just loved every second of it. But, you know, there was a reality to what I was seeing. You know, you had all these small businesses trying their hardest. And I mm. think, you know, we we need to strive for an independent high street that I think is going to be the future where we can experience, yeah. where founders bring it to life. They're like the tourist board of the area. It's just, it's amazing. Mm. Um, what's been your experience having a physical space and what do you think is going to happen? Like, have your rents gone up at all? My rent hasn't gone up which is amazing. And I think, I mean, the overheads of that space, one of the, I mean, the past 18 months, it's such a blessing that it's it's an affordable rent because yes. that would have just been impossible otherwise. And before the pandemic, I was really looking for a new space and I'm so glad I didn't take one on because yes. that would have been awful. But the, I think the high street, I find it a little bit sad that we're not celebrated enough and I feel like we're restricted in many ways and so many things are thrown at us, obstacles, and that's just sad because it it puts people off wanting to do it because, I mean, especially the past six months, you feel like you're wading through these things that are thrown at you 
and having to overcome those. And then you still have your overheads. Nothing's changed in that respect. Mm. And I, I just don't think there's enough help to encourage people to get into all the spaces. There are so many empty spaces at the yeah, moment. I know. But yeah. there's no kind of um, system that lets you get in at um, a better rate or land because landlords are independent and they, they essentially just want whatever money they can get. It doesn't feel like there's anyone that cares about what goes into those spaces to create mm-hmm. good high streets or, mm-hmm. you know, um, areas that people want to go to. So, I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the answer is. Um, business rates would be a good place to start, I think. Do you think, because I was talking to a colleague of mine about this, you know, business rates, I have a physical shop. It's just one element, isn't it, really, mm. of the yeah. whole thing. So we need yeah. footfall, don't we? We need people yes. to come. We need people to shop. We've got our rents, which are the the nightmare is, is that all of our places are owned by different people. So yeah. they can do whatever they want. They're independent. And then you've got business rates. Do you think that just tackling business rates would actually help people come onto the high street? I think that, I mean, from my experience, whenever I look at a new space, I look at the rent and I think that rent's doable. But then I look at the business rates on top and you bolt that on and it's such a significant mm. leap and it throws it out of your possibility or it it just increases the fear because mm. what you need to take daily goes up so much. Especially in London, the the bracketing off of business rates it doesn't feel proportional to the size of what's going in there. And that's just so dangerous. It's such an assumption that because you can afford that space, then you're earning X amount of money. And yes. that's just not true. Because you're selling rubbers and pencils. Someone <laughs> else could be, no, but someone else could be selling, do you know what I mean, a £50,000 watch. Absolutely. It just needs more flexibility. Is the, yes. Yes. And there isn't any at the moment. It's structured in such a solid way. And there's no give or take with it. Do you think that actually um, the future is, because I remember when I was reading up about this for this podcast, you and your partner, Mark, wanted to be an extension of um, your virtual presence, you know, that Mm. you, you instantly saw that that connection, you know, so online and offline Um, and me too, right? So five years I've had Holly & Co a shop from not in the high street to having a shop. Very, very different. Mm. My goodness. Um, <laughs> but I do think it's going to be the future, you know, that the, the, the two things together, why I think mm. the high streets have to be saved so that we can have these experiences. And I think potentially if we got that way, the high street would be awesome in the future. You know, yeah. do you think that that's going to be the way it goes? And do you think that that's what you provide in your physical shop that you sort of give them the the brand feel i'd like to think so i think perhaps not as much as i'd like uh and that comes back to timing and finances but i definitely feel that you know the products the same so in that respect Mm -hmm. it's there and because of the kind of things i sell because it's so kind of tangible and you want to touch and feel those things that in itself creates an experience and that's an experience you don't get online and you will always have that in a real shop Mm. you'll always be able to pick things up and see the size and see the finish and all those things that you don't get online and the internet is never ever going to be able to do that for you so in that respect shops will they they offer something far beyond what the internet can do as as people who have senses, you know, um, 
as shop is uh, it ticks more sense boxes than the internet could and and do you think we've moved on haven't you you talked about that sort of 2010 time and i remember it you know not in high street it was 2005 six we started Mm. and i remember that surge of online business it was so exciting yeah Whereas now it's almost, it was novel. Whereas now we're like, actually everything is online. <laughs> now I spend my life online. It's going back to our walk, isn't it? It's going back to the thing that we were speaking about. Yeah, like an analogue way of life. And the, I am scared that um, the pandemic has destroyed that kind of desire for those things. I really mm-hmm. hope that, um, I feel like all our habits have been broken and we sort of need to retrain ourselves to go to shops and to do all the things that we like to do before. And I think that's, we have to make the conscious decision because the alternative is that they will go. And I don't really feel like there's much um, written about the fact that we could lose all those things. In that when people talk about working from home all the time, I absolutely understand all that. But the downside of that is that a lot of businesses will suffer because they just don't have the footfall anymore. I'd, it'd be so awful if we get to the point where it's too late and it, it's, there's no turning back and there are loads of empty shops everywhere because I, yeah. that's been the choice people have made collectively, I suppose. Yeah, I, we were talking about the whole working from home element and that's a whole other subject. But mm. it's just that we were just speaking about if you communicate, what's the percentage, like 70% or 80% is non-audio communication. And you think about starting your first job and what you learned at Wink in yeah. reading people, sensing yes. things, yeah. understanding the tone, the vibe of the moment, how the connection you have with your colleagues. Mm. There is something about that that's so human. And I do believe in a hybrid. I do think that there is lots of goodness that's come out of this period of time. Yeah, absolutely. But all of us being bolted at home is not going to be good for the psyche, ultimately. You know, so Mm. it was a novelty, wasn't it, when we were all locked in? Because certainly, I bet for you and, and certainly for me, I was like, I have not been home for 20 years. This is unbelievable. (laughs) And now I'm like, okay, I'm going to the office. I'm going to, I'm just, I'm running out the door. Um, But that's any any reason. reason. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit more about your actual products you stock, as Mm. I think you've got such, and we've spoken about this, but this unique way of looking at it. I have to say what you said, something that only a true lover of stationery would say. You said that, we should celebrate erasers. They allow us to correct mistakes and beautiful drawings. Pencils are celebrated universally and erasers are their life partner. So they should get equal billings. I mean, <laughs> I, I have. I, do you remember saying that? Yeah. That's, actually, that's actually pretty it's freaking true. cool. <laughs> and it's true. I've actually, since I've just told everybody I know that, you know, I'm interviewing this guy. Do you know what he said about <laughs> erasers and, and, and pencils? Um what does a product need to have to make the cut for you? And how do you go about sourcing these wonderful items? To make the cut, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's ingrained in me. It's just when I see something and I'm like, I really like that. And I know that's not a very helpful answer. It's just an aesthetic, I suppose. It's just things I I really like to look at or feel like it's beneficial and um but in itself it's attractive mm-hmm. nicely made obviously and just interesting and also increasingly some you know if i see things that other people aren't stocking or i've never seen them before because i'm always looking mm-hmm. it's nice to feel like you're stocking things that other people don't mm-hmm. have and obviously every shop wants to have that feeling and yes. that is becoming a lot harder 
so that's a bit a big factor in it now as well and I really love that feeling of finding something and I haven't seen it before and I'm like I yes. want it I want it in every single color and I'm so bad at when I order stuff because Mark will say why don't you just order five colors and see how they go and I'll be like yeah but oh. there's 20 I'm gonna have all of them <laughs> <laughs> I am so with you why would why would you order five exactly. and so you go I'm all in I'm yeah. all in if we're gonna go I in mean, let's do it it's like being at a buffet and you're like, yeah, I only want to try two things, but there's 50 things in front of you. No one does that. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love all your self-justification. of all, I can see how you've... I, 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 I know it because I do it. And, and what I love is that you've mixed as well, like from vintage to new stamps, specimen charts, mm. tags, craftsmanship. Do you think that that can sit alongside each other? Because that's what I love about what you do, because I know that there's something new on there. So I bought some big planners from you, always have. But then Thank I can you. go and find vintage. Yeah. And and I, I love how you've mixed that. Was that a conscious decision or was that... It well, was. Where it did was, that come from? Well, that goes back to the, the second half of your last question, which I didn't answer. And so when I was looking at the sites in America that back in the I don't know, like 2009, there were some shops that did that. They would go to markets and they would find interesting things and then just put them online. And I was just like, that's brilliant, but I want to do that for stationery. So that was kind of that aspect mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. was uh, ticked off, I suppose. And then the rest of it is really just about, like I said, buying things I like. And because it's coming from me, they automatically glue together. And, and again, that goes back to something having a personality because it's it's like it's my little world, but it's opened up in, you know, and you can see all the things that I really like. And and again, that's what it's about. It's if I buy some old tags, it's just because I really think they're great and they look lovely and it might be just the most throwaway thing. And that's what the shops in Tokyo did. Mm -hmm. they'll appreciate your paper bag as much as like a 50 pound pen and they'll put them together. And I just really like that. Mm -hmm. And I like that you can go to a shop and you can find something for 50 P and then, but yes. you can also find more expensive things and that kind of, and I've said it before and you might've read it, but it's like a sweet shop and there's all these little bits and mm -hmm. you just want to like pick and choose. And I really like that feeling because yeah. it's a bit like a discovery. And the upside of selling vintage alongside new is that, it means you create something dynamic because the stock changes quite often. Like once it's gone, it's gone with some of the things. So every time you go to the site or you go to the shop, you might see something else. And it's it. bringing um, interesting objects forward that you might not have seen anywhere else. Like I got these amazing rubber stamps from a man in Spain and they're like, um, they look like cogs, but each edge of the cog has a number rubber stamp on it and so the wheel so you spin them to print the numbers Ooh. and they're really bizarre as objects but they're also really attractive yeah and you can't get stuff like that anymore no oh my gosh I'm just is that on the site now yeah they are on the site and the other thing to, um sort of answering your question is because um everything's shot in the same way that also brings stuff together yeah it kind of gels it all it's not um yeah, it, it, you can see it's all from the same place, even though something might be old Spanish from the 70s or like a new Japanese notebook. Yeah. It just ties it all together. It ties it all together. Yeah, just, you yeah. talked about that buying trip. I, you've mentioned that you love going abroad to market, sourcing your beautiful products. Obviously, we've got um, silly COVID at the moment and mm. that's stopping everything. I can imagine you must um, be missing that. Mm. The reason I'm asking this is because I... 
I, I believe in building what I call a good life business. So rather than stupid word SME, you know, we when we started Holly & Co, I was like, right, we need to start changing the language to start with. You know, we're not SMEs. Could we be building good life businesses? And actually, your trips are pleasure and work. Yeah. And and but I think founders the founders need to understand that that's not because we you know we shouldn't be looking at work life balance mm. when we run our good life businesses it's because it's all encompassing we love it I think you could never even go on holiday without trying to search out the stationery right never never ever ever <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible now it's impossible <laughs> yeah. so this is the thing of letting founders have that freedom which is mm. if you're a jeweler. Go on holiday where there are unbelievable markets or back streets that you could go and find incredible jewels from yeah. and let that be okay. It's not the dirty secret of the holiday. It it can be part of the reason you're going to a destination. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to, that's the biggest, the nicest thing about having your own business. Well, you can do whatever you like. But you have to embrace all those things and make the most of it. And for me, that's what feels successful in that that's how it is. I can go to Germany for a weekend and go to markets and that's work. And that that is that's how I define my success rather than I'm I've got X sales or I have eight shops or whatever. It's mm -hmm. that idea that I can choose all those, to do all those fun things and it's still work and it's still part of my job. Yeah. And you're creating like a business out of just stuff you really enjoy. And how can that ever be bad? <laughs> It's, yeah, I mean, I mean <laughs> a joy. And yeah. where, tell me about some of your trips. Where do you like to go? And and I is do, it literally on the agenda? So you say to my, yes. this is where we're going here. You know, yeah. sod the culture. The the markets are off the scale. <laughs> well, I mean that that obviously I have to be kind to Mark and not drag yes. him around. But he does like. <laughs> he's got really good at um, spotting stuff as well. Like okay, walk, you've you know, trained we, him well. We split up, and then he'll be like, "Oh, I've seen these," and he'll drag me over to a store. I'm like, "Yeah, they're really good." So that's that's excellent. Um, but yeah, I miss doing those so much because obviously you find new stuff and it's just really enjoyable. And mm -hmm. my the ones I go to all the time, I go to a big one in Munich once a year. I go to one in Leipzig a couple of times a year, which is really good. It's like my favourite. Um, and then Berlin's always really good. There's a massive one in Lille that I go to every year, but that's been cancelled the past two years. Mm. Um, there's a new one in France that I, I'm going to go to hopefully in October. Um, and then obviously, like when we go away for weekends, like you say, we'll go and look, like even on summer holidays. Last year, I got loads of really nice um, 1970s glue pots in Sicily because we, you know, that there was that brief window where you could go on yes. holidays. So we were, like, <laughs> we're going to Sicily and we we're really lucky. And um, yes, yeah, so this old stationery shop and I found some rubber stamps and some glue and I managed to get the glue through customs. And I was so happy because it was liquid, obviously, but each one was just under the, like what you allowed. Oh my goodness. <laughs> You're smuggling glue. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. And they and they kind of were like, what is this? But I explained it and they just let me through. So I was really happy. But yeah, I'm always looking basically. And you yeah. have to, it's, it's an addiction, I suppose, in that respect. Every week, Royal Mail helps small businesses deliver across the UK. With a staggering 74% of online shoppers more likely to use a retailer if they use them, Royal Mail helps small businesses thrive. 
As a central and crucial pillar within the small business community, Royal Mail continue to be dedicated to supporting our UK small business community. And therefore, I'm thrilled that they're giving away their ad break space to a small business founder every week, providing them an opportunity to showcase their business to tens of thousands of listeners right here on this very podcast. If you'd like to take Royal Mail up on their generosity, head over to holly.co for more information. So let's hand over to this week's Royal Mail Independent Ad Break winner. Can a dish brush lead to purpose? For me, that's how it started. I'm Alice. I run Authentic House, a subscription box and online shop for beautiful plastic-free home supplies. It began with finding a coconut fibre brush, then a cotton sponge and a shampoo bar, and products that were easily recyclable or compostable, and that wouldn't outlive our time here. I started to send these products to people every month as a subscription box, and they told me what a difference their boxes were making. They were gaining the confidence through small changes to take action to protect the planet. I love this feeling, so I opened an online shop from my home in Cardiff, and have sent over 50,000 replacements for single-use plastic. We've planted nearly 3,000 trees, In 2018, we launched our own product range, which is available on our shop and wholesale. And in 2020, my partner Daniel joined in too. And from a dish brush to our purpose, it's to empower more people to make changes towards sustainable living. Because if you can change your home, we can change the world. If you're listening to this, thank you Holly and Royal Mail. You can find us at AuthenticHouse.co.uk and on Instagram at AuthenticHouseUK. To find out more about how Royal Mail can help you, head to royalmail.com slash business hub to visit their dedicated hub for small businesses. Now, let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. We've mentioned social media and I'd love just to uh, ask you a question. Your social media Mm. obviously is totally captivating. It's so cohesive and I... Uh, it's the way that you, I don't know, the whole thing, you put things together, the styling to all the sharpness to then 10, 20 different things all placed together. And how does it work? Has it been an important part of building your brand? And what advice would you give to others listening sort of about the role of social media? And, Mm. and is that something that is, it takes up a lot of your time? Is it like a very important part now? Um, Is that the marketing that you do? Because it's interesting, isn't it, for other people, they're like, oh, you know, am I spending too long on social media? I mean, we built Holly & Co. on social media. Mm. So we spend a long time on social media because we don't place advertising anywhere else. What about yourself? No, it's the same. I mean, it's really, really important to me. And I, I, but I really love it. And I think that's really important. You have to enjoy the platforms that you're using. It is massively important to me and I do spend a lot of time on it, but that's because generally speaking, it works. And there are days that one platform I'm just not enjoying and I'll have a few days away from it. And I think that's really important. But that that is my biggest piece of advice is that if you can try to be on a couple of platforms, don't just be on Instagram. Yeah. I think because the days that Instagram's annoying you and you don't feel like you're getting anywhere, then you can go on Twitter yeah. Or you can go on Facebook and Facebook is also frustrating. But I find that by being across a few platforms, you can get a break from one. You increase your audience, mm-hmm. but it also allows you to, because what I do, I will test, I will put things on Twitter and if they do well, they're the things that I will put on Facebook the next day. Because there's no mm-hmm. point posting stuff on Facebook if it doesn't feel like it's 
good or you think it will bomb. Whereas Twitter's like a good testing ground. So, and that makes Facebook easier. I'm interested that you use Twitter though, because... I use Twitter a lot. Do you? I wouldn't have said that, <laughs> that your brand worked with Twitter. So I'm really interested to understand that it does. So Instagram, I'm quite strict and I only post photos of that I've taken. I don't mm-hmm. share anyone else's stuff. Mm-hmm. That's just mm-hmm. how I in, I've always done it. And I kind of felt like that's what it should be. It should bring people to the site and to present and correct by the styling and the fun pictures mm-hmm. and the things I see. Mm-hmm. But Twitter's perfect for increasing the present and correct world through things that I like that aren't mine. So I will post links to interesting things, to artists, to other people's products or to galleries or to random collections online that I've searched for through Google. Mm -hmm. I will often put them on my blog and then through Twitter, I will link to my blog. So I'm getting traffic to the site in that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, But mainly it's really just about uh, expanding on the brand, like we said earlier, about making it more of a 3D world. It's about things I like. And it's also good because you become known for sharing interesting things. So you get followers in that way. And then you mix mm. up with your products and present and correct news. So you're really using the platforms and, you know, that is what we're told to do in a very, very different way. So that each platform has a unique experience, uh, ultimately, doesn't it? Yeah. To your one business. Yeah. And I think so. And then you get something different out of each of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the other thing I would say is, I mean, anything that you don't enjoy, you don't feel comfortable with, then don't do it because it will show. Like, yes. If you if you're into it, then it's it kind of exudes from what you're putting out there. Yes. Um, if you if you feel awkward or not happy with it, then I think it shows. And yeah, yeah. Why agreed. would someone else enjoy that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not enjoy your n- unenjoyable. <laughs> the gra- yeah. Great, great business strategy there. <laughs> the this other thing the, I was sorry, yeah, go on. The other go thing on. I would say about social is just be. I don't know. Just try and be positive. That's something I yes. always try and do, even when I'm not feeling positive personally. It's just nice to create a world on social media that at the moment is very heavy with negativity. Mm-hmm. If you can bring really good stuff to other people's feeds, then that's always going to be welcome, I think. Just make yeah. it light and interesting. And, you know, it sounds like common sense, but also that's better for you because you're not falling into the trap of, um, getting into antagonistic dialogue with people about politics or you know all those kinds of things that you can do in your in your life outside of the internet you don't need to be doing that on twitter yeah especially yeah. as a business i think your the business should reflect you know what your values are yes. and for me i just want it to be a nice friendly place and that's yeah. interesting the you know, same feeling so. that you get when you walk into your physical shop, right? You, yeah, I hope that's, so, yeah, that's the that's the 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 feeling. So I could talk to you all day long. I could buy your stationery all day long. I actually, <laughs> I actually have a basket sitting in another tab. I've got. I give you the tabs free shipping code. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't need it. I am so in love with some of the. Th- anyway, you'll see this huge Thank order you. coming on. Um, such lovely advice. I think such an amazing conversation about being happy building niche. Um, I end these interviews with the analogy that running your own business is often like being on an epic roller coaster. (laughs) Now, yours would be full of stationery. It would be (laughs) so beautiful. I can only freaking imagine it. Um, Tell me what you would say has been one of your biggest lows on this journey. I would say, I think the past six months have been pretty difficult. Um, 
it's felt like uh, just been. I was saying earlier how there's been obstacles thrown as we had Brexit to begin with. Obviously, COVID, and then Brexit, mm. and then the shop being closed until April, and then we've had new VAT rules coming in this week. And it's felt like you've been wading through all this stuff, and there hasn't there hasn't been a lot of support for it, mm. and that hasn't been enjoyable. It 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 felt at times like the joy has been sucked out of it because you're having to deal with these things and you felt kind of helpless in how to deal with it. But the upside of that is that I've chatted more to other small businesses and we've helped each other through like WhatsApp and stuff about what we were doing about it and how to sort it out. So collectively we've worked our way through it. So that's been really nice. So that's been a, would you say, what would you say has been one of your biggest highs in your career? Well, this is very contradictory, but the past year in the sense that it's been so nice to be busy and have support of people and people saying, I'm really glad you're still here. And lots of people yeah. placing orders and just people really, I think, consciously wanting to look after you as a business. That's felt really nice. And I suppose the summary of that is that it the high is that I'm still here at a time when mm -hmm. it's been very, very difficult. And, and you could easily have not been. Yeah, it could have easily given up. It could have gone... I don't know, in so many ways it could have gone wrong. And it's, I think the high is that I'm still doing what I like to do on my terms. And I think that's pretty good. I mean, I, yeah. I was, because when I knew you were going to ask this, there were lots of other things that I thought, like very singular highs, like little collaborations and stuff that I all love. But the, my answer just then felt like a much greater thing. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's a long-term high, I suppose. And just very grateful for and that. And I think one that lots of people, I'm just literally reflecting on you saying it right now. Have we all just said, hang on a second, we're getting through a pandemic and mm. we're still here on the other side when so many people have not been able to do it. Yeah, and exactly. you're really right in us just taking that moment to reflect. And I'm going to write an email to the team actually straight after this podcast and just remind us that because I haven't said that to them. You know, we just sort of, it's every day, isn't it? We're fighting, yeah. we keep yes. going. Yeah. But that reflection, bless you for that. Can I just say something? Yeah, Sorry. go on. It's, it, it links back to what I just said. I think with a small business, there's always that pressure to always change or grow or, you know, actually just holding on, I think, is really impressive in itself. And especially at the mm -hmm. moment, just just to retain what you're doing and to keep doing it is successful. You don't yes. always have to keep getting bigger and bigger and being more and more. And I think that should be said a lot more often. And But you have to tell yourself. And mm -hmm. the other thing about mm -hmm. small businesses, you don't, you rarely stand back and and look at what you've done and congratulate yourself. Because it, like you say, it's always about the next day. It's yes. always about what's happening next week. And yes. that's something I have to learn more. But when you do do it, you're a bit like, okay, yeah, actually, you know, that's quite good. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, how the fuck did I do that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's been a real battle. <laughs> it's been a real battle. Yeah. Bless you. I think that's such a great point, actually, to hand over to you, um, because I know that you have prepared a letter to your younger self. Yeah. It's one of my favourite parts in the podcast where I can take my glasses off and just take a second. Um, and, but thank you, thank um, you, Neil, so much for being on it's this. I've really enjoyed fun. it so much. Thank you. Dear me, you're in 2001 and I'm sending this letter via a podcast. 
You won't have these yet because you're on dial-up internet. I chose now to deliver this because you've just left art college and you're not moving home. You got the grade you wanted, you finally met your people and you're moving to London. Everything feels possible. At this point, please stop wearing buffalo boots and say no to working the summer in a frozen pea factory. Go away instead. You can get a loan for the computer that you need. Learn from the studios that you inhabit, the good and the bad, and give it everything you have. Always make tea for colleagues because you'll become indispensable. Remember that saying no is always fine. You don't have to do something which doesn't feel right because no one will benefit. And if huge companies want free work, go back and ask them for their charity number. Niche is good and nice is better. Not everyone will fully understand your collection of gummed labels or desire for paper bags. It doesn't matter because plenty of people will and they will find you. Just make sure you are having fun and when you're not, then move on because that wouldn't be failing. Overthinking everything can be tiring and will probably make you bald, but it can also deliver some of the best ideas and the funniest thoughts. So embrace your active mind because it will work in your favour. Ask questions and listen and write down ideas and be expressive in whatever way you feel and workshop everything. It will be tempting to monetize all the hobbies you have, but keep some things for yourself because you probably won't want to work all the time. But working all the time is fine as well, but just don't justify it to anyone. Loving what you do is not the same really as having a job. And make lists and write things down that you've already done, then you can cross them off and reward yourself often. Staying optimistic is medicinal, but don't shun pessimists because they will balance you out. It's good to have people to strive against because things would be too easy otherwise. If someone says you can't do it, then you can relish proving them wrong. Always say sorry and never leave the house on an argument. If you love someone, tell them often and have their back at all times. Success is subjective, so to find it your way, it is not purely about materialism. However, you should always make sure you have holidays and day trips planned. You'll always receive unsolicited business advice, but don't let it burden you. You know what you want and you must never cater to someone else's ambitions. Put time aside weekly to listen to 90s dance anthems at full volume, preferably whilst walking without a planned route. If you see a child waving from a bus, always wave back. Wear sunscreen and don't throw away your bank statements. They're actually really useful. Eat everything and don't be too serious. Ultimately, it's just stationary. Lots of love from Neil. I love that. I absolutely love that. I love when you were writing lists and I was like, yeah, because that's because you've got those notebooks, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. And I bet you even write down your list, even once you've done something, yeah, you, you have probably to, put it yeah, down write, and then you yeah, can yeah, cross yeah. it off, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I'm there. That was absolutely beautiful. Oh, and it's something that I think we will all replay because it felt like you were um, the anthem don't wear suns uh, always wear sunscreen I'm really glad you got that reference because that was the last line about sunscreen yes. and bank statements but I disagree with him because you have to keep your bank statements yes exactly he said to throw them away and throw I was them like away. my mum always told me to keep them and if you ever want a mortgage and when you're doing your VAT <laughs> returns they're godsend <laughs> He just missed that bit out of the song because yeah, that bit's wrong. not as sexy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not fun, is it? <laughs> it's not really fun. What a beautiful letter. Of course it was. It was written by you. 
creating such a brilliant brand, something that um, I know so many people really admire you, the brand, what you stand for. And it really gives us all confidence and strength when we're in our little groove, as you said, you know, to keep going because you're a prime example of that we can do it. So thank you, Neil, today. And best of luck building your business. Not that you need it, but it's um, we're all there with you. Thank you for asking me. It's been really fun. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you. Before you go, don't forget to head to holly.co to be in with a chance of winning a brand new Dell Technologies XPS laptop and a whole host of other goodies. And if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co.